behind. So this is our 12th and last class. Uh, last week we were able to get up to, I don't think we were this far, well, no we were not. Yes, we were right here. So we had finished uh, the section of the Our Father, and we had, I believe, already covered this last silent prayer. We give thanks unto thee, O King Invisible, who by thy measureless power didst make all things, and the greatness of your mercy didst bring all things from non-existence into being. Look down from heaven, O Master, upon those who have bowed their heads unto you, the awesome God. Do you yourself, O Master, distribute these gifts here offered unto all of us for good, according to the individual need of each? Sail with those who sail, travel with those who travel by land and by air, heal the sick, or thou who art the physician of our souls and bodies. And then you have the exclamation, uh, through the grace and compassion of love to our mankind, of thy only begotten Son, with whom thou art blessed, with thine all holy, good, and life creating spirit. Um, what do we find in this silent prayer that brings up themes that we've talked about? It's almost a mini anaphora because it covers what the very beginning of the anaphora it is meet and right to him thee to bless thee etc it starts uh, is very strong on the fact of God as the creator especially bringing all things from non-existence into being and then you have the prayer that happens a lot we even had it this evening in Vespers look down from heaven upon those who have bowed their heads unto you the awesome God and then you have the same uh, language that we even heard in the prayer uh, of the true Bikim that the priest says at the altar, uh, that the true celebrant, the one who is going to distribute his body and blood, the one who offers, is the, the one who offers uh, is also, how do I say this again? The offered is the offerer. <laughs> it's Christ who offers himself uh, to the Father that we are also participating in that offering, but it's he is ultimately the one who has given us the gifts to offer back to God. So you have the same language here of a master distribute your gifts you're offered, but here we have a little bit of uh, specificity uh, in that in distributing the gifts you're offered, uh, there is then a kind of recognition of the universality of God and God's goodness and presence to everyone that in the offering of the Eucharist um, as though we've come together in that unity of mind uh, that we with one mouth and one heart are going to praise uh, God that each of us individually have particular needs and things that we uh, well we need addressed <laughs> we need God's presence and so this prayer um, specifically talks uh, well why do you think in bringing that in, into focus, why would it then move to sail with those who sail and travel with those who travel by land and by air and heal the sick? Yes? Well, my first thought is it seems like people who maybe couldn't make it. Is that the idea? Or? I think that's a fair, uh, how, how should I say, hypothesis. Yes? That's got to be kind of new, right? If it says land in by air, 
Yes, the air is yes. uh, is uh, is new. They they've added that. <laughs> You'll even hear. You might actually hear because Protodeacon Mark Barna does <laughs> will say in space. So he'll say land, air, and space, and I always kind of giggle because, well, okay. <laughs> I guess there are people there are there are Orthodox Christians in space because Russian cosmonauts are up there and they've got like a little icon corner in in the lab. So, uh, I mean. And by an icon corner, I mean like not one icon, but like 10, 12, 15, like they have a lot in their space uh, lab. It's, it's fascinating. I've seen multiple pictures of that. So, um, well, yes. Whenever I hear that, um, the first thing I think of is that there are families present and that people in families have other members of their family who are sailing, traveling. That, yeah. You know, I mean, so it's... It's, it's a very specific group of people who aren't there. Yes. And also besides those who are not there, there's also, well, this, the sick are not there as well, because if they were right. well, there would be a liturgy. <laughs> uh, but they're sick. And then we have, again, the emphasis on God as the physician, not just of our souls, but also our bodies, that he is, uh, though he is the king invisible, he cares about the visible created world. After this exclamation, the priest then says silently again, Attend, O Lord Jesus Christ our God, out of thy holy dwelling place from the throne of the glory of your kingdom, and come to sanctify us, O thou who sittest on high with the Father, and art here invisibly present with us, and by your mighty hand impart unto us thy most pure body and precious blood, and through us to all the people. You can hear, especially in that last line, how this would be a silent prayer that the priest is specifically uh, saying, because through us to all the people that you have the idea of the serving clergy at the altar. Um, what about the language of this prayer? You have especially a focus or an emphasis upon the, uh, again, as we've talked about, many times throughout the series of uh, the divine liturgy as a manifestation of the kingdom of heaven of the lordship of our lord jesus christ of the altar as the throne and as our entrance in worship into the throne room of our lord so we have here uh, a calling down for jesus christ to come from the holy dwelling place at the anaphora, we ask the Holy Spirit to come down and change the elements. And now we're uh, asking Christ to attend and to come and sanctify us uh, while still being on high, sitting on the throne. What, what do you think of the language of thy mighty hand impart unto us? Why, why would, what would it talk about thy mighty hand? Is there a theme Biblical theme there. Thinking about Exodus or the Psalms, the way that scriptures talks about uh, God's saving of it doesn't use the necessarily the word hand, so I wonder what actually what the Greek here says of it because hand can also refer to a little bit more than like we think here, hand can kind of refer to the arm, but all through scripture God saves Israel with his mighty arm. 
to have the same, this is all through the Psalms and the Exodus. Then you have, uh, let us attend, uh, holy things are for the holy. When the priest says this, if there's a deacon serving, he would say, let us attend. The priest is, and there's different variations of this, but it's the same basic action of the priest uh, picking up the lamb from the paten or the discos. Paten is just a Latin term, discos is the Greek term. Uh, to say that the lamb that has been sanctified as the body of Christ, uh, holy things are for the holy. This uh, was the original. Now we say we come out from the gates and we say, uh, in the fear of God, um, Oh my goodness. In the fear of God, with faith and love, draw near. Sorry, my mind just, I wasn't in my ritual action, so my mind <laughs> blanked. Um, this was the original call to communion, actually. Holy things are for the holy. Um, this, because uh, right after this, this is actually where we have the fracture of the bread and clergy communion, and then the doors will open up, and then there's lay communion. Uh, historically, uh, everyone communed at the altar uh, or close to the altar like the clergy do now. Uh, they would have received the body in their hands and received um, the blood uh, via the chalice. Uh, I can't, it's pretty late. I want to say 8th or 9th century, but don't quote me on that. But somewhere in that vicinity that the Orthodox Church moves to having the bread and wine put together in a spoon and you're basically being spoon fed. Um, that is a late development. Uh, but it's also a way to maintain, uh, I'll say purity uh, slash control of the elements. So, I mean, to this day, uh, there are, you know, if you ever heard of a black mass where they've stolen a host, that's because this is again why the Roman church historically would have put right onto your tongue uh, so they know that it's basically the process of dissolving is occurring uh, once you start putting the host into people's hands it's very easy to just not take it and well not take it as in not eat at the moment and and take it uh, so it was a way of making sure that the elements were you know if I give you a spoon and you take it off that's that it's it's in your mouth uh, you're going to swallow it um, just that there are things where you'll have you'll have people say things about the Orthodox liturgy of like things like, and how shall I say this? Uh, the very well-meaning to say that the liturgy that we do is what the apostles did, and aspects of that I would say were true, and there's other aspects that are just we say that we do the liturgy of Saint John Chrysostom. Did John Chrysostom in his fourth century? So that automatically tells you. <laughs> There's things about that liturgy that are not, uh, how shall I say, apostolic in the sense of like New Testament. They are rooted, I would say, the form, the ordo, the way the Latin term for it, the form of the liturgy is all there. And I would say it's biblical form, as we've talked about for the last uh, few weeks. But as I just tell the like the specifics of that a spoon developed over time, right? That wasn't an apostolic. There isn't a spoon that Jesus had that he fed the Apostles' Communion. Um, you can tell the, in the response to holy things are for the holy, uh, the people uh, sing, one is holy, one is the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of God the Father, amen. Why is that the response? 
That seems an odd response. Holy things are for the holy, and then the choir responds, one is holy, one is the Lord Jesus Christ. So does that mean any of us are to commune? <laughs> is it a, a negation? Yes, Terry. Well, I once had someone ask this question, and I was wondering how you would answer it. Here in the same service, we've said uh, sinners among, of whom I am first. And then you're saying holy things are for the holy, and we're going to go forward. You know, and so visitors of the service want to say, what's up with that? How can we say holy things for the holy and then us sinners are going forward? You know, of whom I am first. I mean, so that we're saying that, then at the same time with our actions, we're going forward. Now, theologically, I know how to answer that, but to a newcomer, I'm just wondering. I would say the, that the response is exactly what the, the people respond, actually. One is holy. One, uh, Lord Jesus Christ. We begin the entire anaphora saying, yeah. the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, that is the access. And then to go back to even the question I had after we st stopped recording last week about why do we say the Our Father where we do? We're able to say the Our Father where we are because we've entered into, uh, say, the Holy of Holies and the inner sanctum. And only because of Jesus Christ are we actually able to say that. So, so we only go forward as the holy because we're part of the body of Christ. Yes. That's the, you know, I was wondering what's the shortest. Yeah, I would say the shortest is yes. because <laughs> The reason we can is because there is one who is holy. <laughs> yeah. uh, because it is our one Lord Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. Is that related also when he spoke to the rich young ruler? Is there one who is good? Yeah. Well, I, I would say, well, I would say pedagogically that he says there's only one who is good. Uh, well, we can we can talk. I actually talked about that in my sermon. The funny thing about that is, it really clicked for me what was happening mm, a few minutes before, and I know that's like <laughs> sermon. Don't do that. Well, I did it, but I think it works. Is that uh, also what uh, what he's talking about? Is that also what Saint Paul addresses in Romans? Like, Where in Romans? The body of death. And, I was trying to think of what he refers to. The Bible. Are you talking about like Romans 6 where he's talking about uh, yes, so basically you have the principle of death uh, sin and the wages of sin are death and the fruit of righteousness and belief in Jesus Christ the one who is holy, the one who actually did the things that we we're supposed to do who lived the true idemic life that Adam did not live that all of us were called to live as well uh he did all of those things, so in incorporating ourselves into belief in him and being incorporated into his body, we receive the benefit of being attached to the one who basically attached, I don't that's not a technical term, but <laughs> through faith and allegiance to him, that is then sealed in baptism and chrismation, sealed by the Holy Spirit, and then communing at his table, we are in the process of being made holy. You can be chief among the center of the house of the body of death that St. Paul references? Uh, we're chief of, um, so this is, this is, I would say, that in moving out of, that chief among sinners is quoting Paul from a different context. And Paul being a chief of sinners, uh, in some ways it scores rhetorical points for him. Uh, but that, by rhetorical, I don't mean something negative. Like now when we say like somebody's being rhetorical, we usually mean that's negative. Historically, 
rhetoric was just ways of emphasizing things. We've lost that understanding. Uh, so his emphasis in saying that, it's all of us in our own ways know exactly why we're the chief of sinners. It's a, it's a position of humility. It's a position of, uh, well, of our spheres of what we actually know and have responsibility for. Um, so when we say that we're the chief of sinners, uh, it's not a, I'll say, I don't know how to say, it's not a metaphysical statement where I'm saying, no, I really am, because then we're just going to have, <laughs> which one of you are the chief of sinners, right? It's, not, it's, a, it's a rhetorical thing of uh, humility and uh, repentance that, w- that we all say along with Paul. Am I answering your question, Mike? Yeah. Yeah, okay. This may sound odd, but the image that I've associated with that that helped me is the moment in the Chronicles of Narnia where Aslan is walking beside a boy who's lost in the fog, and he keeps wanting to know about, well, you, did you harm this person? Did you harm this person? Did you harm this person? And Aslan says to him, I tell no one their story except their own. Mm. In other words, I'm relating to you. Don't worry about everybody else. Because you know, where you rank with them, I'm telling you your story. I think it's also well, it's going on the end of the gospel, of John, if I remember correctly, too, where there's like, well, what about this? He's like, you worry about <laughs> you need to worry about yourself, uh, to because, like I said, those spheres of influence and responsibility. I'm not like in some sense I'm responsible for my wife, for my kids. For those around, like and as a priest, responsible for those under my charge, under my, I would say, stole, right? Um, but that ultimately, that's a way of talking, and it's true. But ultimately, it's each person's own responsibility for their salvation. Because nobody's going to save yourself besides yourself, which God is. And this is always that language. Paul even talks like this. Where and we do it in the anaphora in the night in which he was given up, or rather gave himself up for the life of the world. Paul talks like that in the, where he's talking. I believe it's Ephesians two, if I remember correctly. It might be Philippians, um, where he's talking. He's talking about us working out our salvation, and then he flips it around and he says, "But it's God working out our salvation for it." So it's the other way around. God working out our salvation and saying, "But we have to work out our salvation as well." That's not opposed to each other. Uh, we work with God that who is doing that work within us. We can only accomplish it by the grace of God. Yes. So this is uh, the Discos uh, illustration. And some of this, I'm not exactly certain. There have been, uh, like I said, there have been little changes here and there. So I'm not exactly certain uh how exactly? So I'll tell you what I am used to um, putting out and what the books, what I was taught to do. So the lamb is cut out from, does that, has, does this look like complete, like Cyrillic alphabet to you? No, fa- Father uh, Stephen did a whole session on this. Right, but in. I think most people here would have not, not been here That's at all. True. Okay. So this is the discos. Uh, on here, you would have the Russian tradition is you'd have five loaves of bread. Uh, out of the first one, the best one, you would choose the one that will that you will take the lamb out of. There's a whole preparatory service before the divine liturgy, but 
usually before you get here, uh, the priest has been here for a while. Um, he uh, says prayers and he cuts the lamb out and he will also basically cut it uh, up to the seal to where it can be broken into four parts. So the four parts would be IC would be one part, XC would be one part, Ni and the Ka. Those would all eventually, what we're about to get there, where they will be fractured and uh, they will be cut up and then that was what will be distributed uh, to the faithful. As soon as you've cut out the lamb, uh, you pour the wine in the water. Uh, you then have the Theotokos. We can talk about the Proskimidi in more detail at another time. You then will put the Theotokos uh, to the right of Christ because it is Christ's right because he's facing you. So on his right hand, even though it's our left. Uh, and then you have the nine ranks of the saints <clears throat> on the left side of Christ. Uh, then you ha will have uh, what this is saying for civil authority. Uh, so you would have, okay, I know what it is, so the Holy Synod, uh, which is basically, you would remember all the clergy, uh, specifically uh, the Metropolitan and your Archbishop, or your Bishop. Uh, then you would do another uh, cut for basically all those uh, Orthodox Christians uh, in, the, in the country. Uh, then you would do uh, all the living. You take little bits uh, out of the bread, uh, and each little uh, piece of bread is a commemoration uh, for someone. Then you would take out another loaf for the dead, and then you would make an incision and make another big triangle, and then you would take out little pieces for the dead. So we have lists, uh, and people at different times will have different um, liturgies for Soul Saturdays, where we will have a specific commemorations or remembrances of those who have died. Uh, and this is basically what it looks like. What is put into the lamb, what, uh, sorry, what is put into the chalice and fractured is the lamb. So, uh, da -da -da -da. it does not have it on here. I sent you a story about that lady. <laughs> When uh, the curtain closes after the holy things are for the holy, uh, and then the um, lamb is broken, and as the priest breaks it, he says, Broken and distributed is the lamb of God, broken yet not divided, ever eaten, yet never consumed, but sanctifying those who partake thereof. The IC is then, if we have two chalices, I'll break it in half, uh, the section uh, of the IC and put it into the chalices. The XC is then uh, the section that is reserved for clergy, and that is cut. Uh, and the Nika is reserved for uh, laity. Usually the XC, I just cut off the top, just enough for Father Steve and I, and we use the rest of the XC as well for the faithful. Um, those are all put into the chalice. We, the Russian tradition is we actually have knives, and particular knives set aside, that will make them little particles to be able to easily uh, commune people. The rest is left on the discos. Um, well, I should go through the whole thing. So after the body is uh, put into the chalice, uh, as we're doing that, we say the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and then the warm water is brought to us, and we bless the warm water, blesses one for the holy things, always now and ever into ages of ages, amen. And then we pour warm water into the chalice as a uh, Simplifying, well, it, the prayer said, the warmth of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. 
they were adding warm water. That's why when you receive communion, sometimes and it seems warm, you would think it would be cold. That's because hot water has been added. Uh, then the clergy commune, and then we uh, come out, and then we do the long prayer that I'm sure most of you have committed to memory only when other, somebody else starts saying it. I believe, O oh Lord, and I confess. Um, and after the, in the fear of God, with faith and love draw near, everyone comes forward and receives communion. After communion, let's see here. There's the pre-communion prayers. There's a picture of a priest communing someone. So before the, the priest says, Oh God, save thy people and bless thine inheritance, he has to basically clean up. Uh, and so what he does, whatever is left, the main chalice is put back. The rest of what was on the chalice, uh, on the discus rather, is swept into the uh, chalice. And there is a specific prayer, which is basically, Wash away, O Lord, the sins of all those remembered here by thy precious blood through the prayers of thy saints. Uh, that is then, everything is then put back. As everything has been taken off in the unveiling process, now everything is basically folded up and put back in such a way to uh, then sensing. So, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, the priest then will give a blessing on God, say that people and bless thine inheritance. And the people will sing, we have seen the true light, we have received the heavenly spirit, we have found the true faith, worshiping the undivided trinity who has saved us. Is there anything that jumps out at you about that particular hymn? That is not a very postmodern statement. No. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of exclusive truth chunk claims made in there. Which are? Well, I mean, for starters, we have found the true faith. Yeah. Why? Why? Why here? say it that specifically I mean I think we've already basically confessed the faith right with the, the creed but here it's even it's a even specific mm, I want to say maybe exclusionary it says we found the true faith is there something about the fact that we have Terry, uh, Tim yes <laughs> whenever I'm sorry you were probably going somewhere else we're coming out of the bridal chamber and we're saying we have seen the true light uh, we have received the heavenly spirit we have found the true faith yeah. Um, yeah be thou exalted O God above the heavens thy glory over all the earth is the priest sensing the gifts before he's about to move them uh, actually I saw it in a different translation and actually made this the be thou exalted, O God, is actually uh, ascend, O God. So we have kind of recapitulated here. Christ has come down, and now he has to ascend. So in our sensing of the gifts as they're about to be put up, we're basically saying ascend, O God, above the heavens and thy glory, and have thy glory spread over all the earth. Then the priest will whisper, basically, bless those, or not whisper, but he won't say it like, Blessed, you know, blesses are God. And then you'll hear him say, always, now, never, and into ages of ages. Amen. And while he's saying that, 
he is showing uh, the chalice uh, to the people. And I read one commentary that I thought was uh, helpful on this. The presence of Christ with us, as he uh, promises us at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, that he be with us always, uh, his presence uh, in the chalice, the Eucharistically, sacramentally, he will always be with us. And so you're showing uh, that exact sign of his presence uh, that he will always, now and ever into ages of ages, will be with us. The people respond, Amen, let our mouths be filled with thy praise, O Lord, that we may sing of your glory. For you have made us worthy to partake of thy holy, divine, immortal life-creating mysteries. Keep us in thy holiness, that all the day we may meditate upon thy righteousness. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. We do not have in the divine liturgy the same kind of... Um, well, I haven't been to that many Roman or even the Episcopalian versions of the Western liturgy, but at the end of a Mass, is there not a kind of command or go into out into the world or something like that? How, what is the language of that? The Mass is ended, go in peace. The Mass is ended, go in peace. To, love, that, serve, to love and serve the Lord. Is that a Lutheran edition? Mm. I don't know. I think so. Is that a purpose, but I don't leave the text. Yeah, it's it happens a lot, but it's not. I love how Roman liturgy is always just on the nose. Well, we're ended, guys. See ya. (laughs) The Orthodox just never end like that. (laughs) We have a dismissal, but we never like we never I don't know, we don't have the same kind of on the nose. Um, we have uh, very much a confession that we have uh, partaken of the mysteries and we ask as we've been praying I mean one of the main things that we've picked up to these prayers up into um, the consecration is uh, asking for our holiness for the spirit to de- descend upon us for us to be able to walk uh, in the path of righteousness to us for God to sanctify us we have all of this and now we ask that we've been able to partake that we be kept in that holiness and may meditate upon his righteousness the litany of thanksgiving uh, occurs let us attend having partake the divine holy most pure immortal heavenly life creating and dread or awesome mysteries of Christ let us worthily give thanks unto the Lord Help us, save us, have mercy on us, and keep us, O God, by thy grace. That's almost always the penultimate <laughs> litany. Asking that the whole day may be perfect, holy, peaceful, and sinless. Let us commend ourselves and each other in our life unto Christ our God. You can see how this is basically interpolated or edited um, little litany. Again and again in peace, let us pray to the Lord. Help us, save us, have mercy on us, and keep us, O God, by the way. Commemorating our most blessed. Instead of commemorating, now we ask the whole day may be perfect, holy, peaceful, and sinless, which is taking the place of the Theotokos in that one. Are you interested in what the current Episcopal language is? At the end? Sure. Okay. Because it is quite extensive. Uh-huh. Um, Almighty and ever-living God, thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son, 
heirs of your eternal kingdom. And now, Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord, to him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory now and ever. Amen. Okay, so is that language of being sent out into the world. Uh, another silent prayer. Are there any comments or questions about any of the language here and the litany of thanksgiving? Does anyone ever have... Sorry. Just speak up. <laughs> My back is turned. <laughs> well, I find it really interesting because I didn't, like, I hadn't heard Lord have mercy a lot before I came to Orthodox Church. Um, and I so didn't understand how it could function as Thanksgiving. And um, so, like, you see that in this first petition, let us worthily give thanks to the Lord, Lord have mercy. And it really makes sense in the context, oh, interesting. Of, communion, in the context of communion. Mm-hmm. How so? It's like, um, well, how did, how did you overcome this conundrum that you you had? I don't, know, I don't know if it's like a solution, but in the context of communion, it's like we're asking for the mercy for the great gift we've received, which is like a way of doing thanks for it. Yeah. I, I think one of the... Well, this ties into, I think, too, the reflection of how are we worthy? <laughs> it goes back to the holy things are for the holy, right? And then it says... Let us worthily give thanks to the Lord. It also said earlier, uh, let's see here. Thou hast made us worthy to partake of the divine, holy, divine, immortal life creating mysteries. What is that? How are we worthy? By his blood. You'll have, there's different practices that you might encounter in the Orthodox Church. Um, and it, it has to do with the relationship between uh, the frequency of confession and communion. You'll have certain strands of the tradition where basically you might go to an Orthodox church uh, and find that very few people commune, um, just the kids commune, and maybe a few people here or there. Or you, if you ask them, they will maybe go to communion two or three times a year, uh, mostly because... For them, if they are actually going to receive communion, they will fast for, this is just an example, they will fast for a week uh, doing like prayers basically as much as possible, go to confession and it be like a big, long confession, uh, and then they will go and receive communion. Uh, there have been, throughout uh, the history of the church in the past two, three hundred years, um, especially there have been different movements to uh, increase frequency of communion uh, without necessarily dropping off the seriousness of the relationship between confession and communion. Because you can get into a relationship with communion where confession happens every, you know, how shall I say this, uh, yearly or twice a year, it was actually a law in the Russian Empire that you had to go to confession once a year, uh, <laughs> partly because of the Orthodox Church and being a, a standing member, you had to at least be have gone to confession once a year. Um, so the understanding that's that's like bare minimum, like you're scraping the bar- bottom of the barrel type. Um, you should be uh, in a more robust relationship. Uh, 
between seeking holiness as confession as a tool to seeking holiness uh, and communion. So that uh, the reality is, even if you're going to confession every single week, trying to remember everything you possibly could, get it all off your plate, uh, to be able to then commune on that Sunday morning, the night before you go to confession, the whole night you read, you know, hours and hours of Akathists and uh, the, the whole Psalter, and the next morning you get up and you go to communion, or you don't get up, you go from your icon corner where you've been reading your prayers and you go to communion, are you worthy then? No. So to find the, the tension there between preparation, between uh, availing yourself of the sacraments of the church, specifically confession, uh, not taking communion as a like thing, or not rightly dividing uh, what it is in communion, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, um, but also so that you're not just, you know, uh, communing uh, basically damnation to yourself in Paul's language, uh, which is not, you know, God's going to um, strike you down because, but you're basically communing of the holy, divine, uh, and dread mysteries of Christ without just kind of lackadaisically, like, and I'm just like you're rolling through Wendy's <laughs> and you're going to get, you know, off the what the one dollar menu or the two dollar menu or the three dollar menu uh so to have a relationship uh with the mysteries uh of worthiness is of course um our worthiness is found in jesus christ the one who is holy uh but that does not mean that we therefore do not prepare ourselves for holy communion or the reception of holy communion um or afterwards actually try to make that day as perfect, holy, peaceful, and sinless as we possibly can, knowing that we're going to trip up and fail, but that does not, through uh, God's work in our life, we can uh, get pretty close. We thank the old Master who loves mankind. This is another silent prayer of the priest. Benefactor of our souls, that thou hast made us worthy this day of thy heavenly and immortal mysteries. Make straight our path, strengthen us all in thy fear. Guard our life, make firm our steps to the prayers and intercessions of the glorious Theotokos, never Virgin Mary, and of all thy saints. I, I just love the, the kind of proverb language uh, that comes out in this prayer. Make straight our path, strengthen us all in thy fear, guard our life, make firm our steps. This is... I assume the priest putting things up. I'm not really sure what that illustration is. Uh, that's probably priest communion, actually, is what that is. Um, for thou art the sanctification, right? He's our soul, our holiness. Uh, and to thee we ascribe glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever into ages of ages. Amen. We then have the prayer, uh, this little dialogue, let's go forth in peace. Uh, the prayer before the ambo. I guess maybe this language here is as close as we get is kind of go out into the world. Let us go forth in peace. The prayer before the ambo uh, is then uh, another kind of general create, not general creation prayer, but you'll, you'll see what I mean, I think. O Lord, who blesses those who bless thee and sanctifies those who trust in thee, save your people and bless your inheritance, preserve the fullness of your church, sanctify those who love the beauty of your house, glorify them in return by thy divine power. And forsake us not who put our hope in thee. Give peace to thy world, to thy churches, to thy priests, to all those in civil authority, to all thy people. 
For every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from thee, the Father of lights. And unto you do we ascribe glory, thanksgiving, and worship to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and into ages of ages. I think it helps to think of this prayer uh, within the broader context of what we'll even call the Divine Liturgy, uh, which is the, the Eucharist. And the Eucharist, of course, in Greek means giving thanks, right? That this prayer uh, is very much uh, giving uh, thanks, but also asking God to save people, preserve the church, sanctify those who love the beauty of your house. Do you think that the beauty of the house, sanctify those who love the beauty of the house, is that sanctify all the, the folks who clean up the icons and take the wax out of the sand? Is that a reference to... What, do, what does it mean to those who love the beauty of your house? I think you're on to something there, Donovan. Uh, King David, he said, uh, say that again louder. One thing I ask the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I think that that is the sentiment here. Those who love the beauty of the house are those who want to pursue God and to dwell in his household. We then have blessed is the name of the Lord henceforth and forevermore times that should actually be uh, wait, hold on a second. That should be three, not two. Uh, the blessing of the Lord be upon you through his grace and love for mankind, always now and ever into ages of ages. Amen. And then we're basically at the end. Glory to thee, O Christ, our God, and our hope. Glory to thee, etc. Then we have the dismissal. There's, And this is the form that you would have heard tonight, except, for example, you can tell, May he who rose from the dead is always said on Saturday nights and Sundays. Christ, our true God, with the prayers of his most pure mother, the holy voice of our Lord of Apostles, of our Father among the saints, John Chrysostom, Archbishop of Constantinople. Uh, that's because we've just celebrated the liturgy that we attribute to him. Uh, whatever the saint is of the day that we commemorate, and the holy righteous ancestors of God, Joachim and Anna. Uh, we would always say the holy righteous ancestors of God, Joachim and Anna. That's not just because of St. Anne's, but if you go to any other church, they will also say that. Um, they would also have in there with their patron saint. We just never have our patron saint in there because our patron saint is always in the dismissal. <laughs> so uh, I always mess that up when I go visit other churches and I have to fill in because I'm so used to it not having to say it because it's Joachim and Anna come in the dismissal, uh, which apparently they edited this little booklet to say for whom our parish is named. That is not typical language. <laughs> and of all the saints have mercy on us and save us for his good and loves mankind. And then the people say, Amen. Um, you'll notice that here at St. Anne's, this is the end of the liturgy, but it's not the end of the things that we do. And I don't mean uh, names, days, but like announcements and all that stuff. Um, typically what you'll have is uh, the, uh, what we call the polyponion, which is, uh, it doesn't have this on there, but basically it's singing many years for our Metropolitan and our Bishop. Uh, then you will go through and they'll have, they'll sing the Traparia for the day right, with our saints. They'll always uh, sing about St. Anne. Uh, and then uh, the, 
I don't say Christ is in our midst at the, that point. <laughs> I say glory to Jesus Christ. But there's all these little differences. Uh, and then we'll have post-communion prayers that are read out loud for the sake of those uh, who have received communion or not to be able to stay and uh, listen to the post-communion prayers and people come up and venerate the cross at the end. Are there any questions about the divine liturgy, even basic or broad questions? <clears throat> you all fully understand the divine liturgy according to St. John Chrysostom. Ed, you have a question. I can see it. Make an observation. You can... well, in the Ruthenian Ukrainian Catholic Church, it's the Ambon Prayer. Uh-huh. They have, in addition to the normal one, but for major feasts like vigil rank, if you happen to have a uh-huh. that day or um, post-festival periods and such, they have specific Ambon prayers for that theme. We do, I'm, too. Okay. They, they're not as prominent. So I was at uh, <coughs> St. John's, uh, John the Ladder in Greenville, visiting for the Feast of Ascension this past year, and they had, they would, they would just take out that prayer beyond the Ambon and put the one that's Ascension themed in. Uh, I had never seen that before. I think that disseminates from certain monasteries. And this is, so this is one thing about Orthodox liturgical things. You've been, basically been through the form of the Divine Liturgy of the Orthodox Church, but there are, if you would go to a Greek liturgy, you would notice if you had your book, if you took this book, there's little differences. Uh, and if you really kind of like watched me or Father Stephen and what we do, even um, who all was here on Sunday? Quite a few of you were here on Sunday. Father Gregory Gilbert was here, right? Um, he serves in the Greek Archdiocese. There were many points in the liturgy where I had to, had to say, we don't do it like that. Or I know like this is what you all do. This is how we like just little things uh, because muscle memory kicks it like once you know what you're doing so then it's always like like what what am i supposed to? it's like you do it the other way around <laughs> uh so there's all these little things that you can notice or like the greeks will cut a lot of the litanies that we do and they won't do because you can tell at least uh one litany is repetitious of uh earlier litany so they're like we're not going to repeat and they just cut it they cut that over 100 years ago so this isn't something extremely contemporaneous with us but um, so even reading like post-communion prayers you'll go to churches they, don't, they won't read post-communion prayers afterwards and why the Greek Orthodox service that I went to was sh- shorter the I divine went to the St. George it was an hour and a half ours is about an hour and a half I come in on a Sunday and it's just a touch over two hours the time I did that it's my first time here because I looked at my watch and do, do we take about two hours? 30 to 11.30, the whole yeah. thing, yeah. Like, that's after we're going too slow. Oh, <laughs> part of it. Announcements and everything. Oh, well. So, I mean liturgy, liturgy. not, yeah. And also preaching. I'm starting to realize I'm starting to clock yeah. in at 15 minutes. So I want to reel that in a little bit. Because <laughs> uh, that's longer than I want it to be. This past Sunday, there was quite a bit, you know, I guess at the end, um, like, um, the special prayer. Yeah, so we did yeah, the Archiclesia. Like, really yeah, this blew my mind. I was like, I don't understand any of this. Or, 
What, what do you mean? I, I guess there's uh, special prayers and then, um, I guess, for the, the, for the deceased. And, yeah. And so this Sunday we did uh, Archikosia, which is typically a Greek practice. It's not typically a Russian practice, which is basically a Thanksgiving uh, for something, uh, prayers and a blessing of loaves. Did you have any of the bread? The Archikosia bread is very sweet bread, so it's oh, no. a nice... That's a nice bread. It was really good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you, yeah. When you go to big, like uh, when I was in the New York City area, there's a lot of expat Greeks. So they have, you know, I went, for example, Prophet Elias. So this is a big feast day for Greeks uh, and Yonkers. And there was hundreds of people there. And they all brought the Artaclasia bread. So there's like probably 150 loaves of Artaclasia bread. Just like out all over, you know, to get blessed because everybody wants, you know, that sweet bread. Um, so that the artos just means bread. So um, the panahita is a memorial. Uh, that was some some somebody just brought koliva and they wanted to do a panahita. That was not a plan. That would have I would have done things a little bit differently uh, ahead of time, but. I only knew it about halfway through the liturgy, but there's somebody who's brought Koliva. So that is prayers for the dead. You bring Koliva, which is basically boiled wheat or versions thereof, uh, similar to that, because there's different regions do do different things, and you decorate it and make it sweet. It's basically the boiled wheat is a uh, signifier of resurrection. So you eat that in memorial. Have you ever read Brothers Karamazov? Or some Dostoevsky, you'll pick up on these little practices, and they'll they'll have bad translations. And some of the Dostoevsky will say like, after they finish the mass, and it's like we never refer to it as the mass, or you know, requiem. No, they mean the panahita. They mean the memorial service. So they just say requiem because they think that's what a Western. And then when you're doing, uh, there's just so much that I saw. Of uh, the, them with yeah, the with the, the koliva. Yeah. That's a Romanian thing. Nobody else does that. They just expect you to pick up the the and do this with them. It's just a Romanian thing. It's just all these little, and this is what I mean, like the, all of these little traditions that there's like the core of what you do, and then there's little tiny little things that'll occur. Uh, so there, you you could go to uh, church in Moscow to divine liturgy, and everything will basically look very similar to what we do. Uh, and then during clergy communion, they'll send one of the priests, because usually they have a few priests attached to it because they have big parishes, and you'll have a sermon for like 20 minutes while the clergy communing. Then you do, like, so they just, things just happen differently in different places, just little things. In Greek churches, you go through the entire liturgy and they won't preach until the very end. So we preach after the gospel. It seems to be the prime time to preach yes, after the exclamation. preaching like right before communion that was strange. Is that in Greece? No, uh, it was up in Pennsylvania. But it was like... OCA? Yeah. It was, like a, it was just a weird transition, I guess. Yep. Like, they were building up, building up the communion as like a sermon. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that practice. But it happens. Yes. So, one question I have is, so I know we call it St. You probably covered this earlier, but in St. John Chrysostom's liturgy, yes. what, what, do you, what do we know about like, what was the last time it actually was being 
because I know like different things happen. Uh, <laughs> in the like text of the service, um, like prayers or anything like that. Basically, my understanding of the codification of like the basic text that we have, the divine liturgy, I think it's basically in codifying like 12th century. Um, but for example, the Greeks will do. And I'm not picking on them by saying the Greeks. It's just the practice they do. They, they did some changes uh, at the beginning of the 20th century and the 19th century, if I remember correctly, uh, where, for example, where we sing like a big chunk of the, of the antiphons at the beginning, where we sing like a large section of psalm, psalmody, they will only do a line and then say, most holy Theotokos save us, and then a line, and most holy, like, and then you're done. They don't seem to be attitudes. They'll immediately go to what they call the politikion, which is the traparia uh, of the day. And so there's no beatitudes sung. They will then immediately basically do the traparia sequence that we do after the entrance. Just a little thing. I mean, they're just little things. <coughs> but they're significant when you're serving at the altar. I'll tell you that much. Because <laughs> you're used to, a, like, I don't know. I got used to things running a particular way, and then I went and learned at a Greek parish just so I could understand how they do things. Any other questions? And yeah, right after the great entrance, I've been kind of like mystified about this for weeks, and maybe it was covered in an earlier class, and I just didn't realize it. But uh -huh. like when the priest is going back to the altar, uh -huh. like everybody says something, and it seems disjointed, and like I've never been able to figure out. If you look at the bulletin, yeah. it'll say, May Lord God remember your priesthood in this heavenly kingdom always now and never into ages of ages. Amen. Okay. I, I don't know of anywhere else that all the people do that. This is the only parish that is coming to mind that they do that. That might be a broader DOS thing, but I don't know. That really is a dialogue that should happen between uh, the priests con celebrating together and the priest and the deacon, where the deacon will say to the priest, as he's entering the altar, may the Lord God remember your priesthood, and the priest says, may the Lord God remember your diaconate, and his kingdom always on never until ages of ages on earth. That somehow, see, this is exactly how, it, like, I don't know if, again, like, maybe that was taught to them at the very beginning. I've never seen it in another context. See, local practice. I don't even think about it anymore, because it's just what, Folks are used to here, and I don't really care to die on that hill. <laughs> it's like those people that go up and walk off and go, "Woo!" They started about ten years ago. Oh, uh, the, the little tables after after uh -huh. we, we had coming up there, those little tables yes. towards the back. What are exactly what is that? So the the Russian word is the pivko, which basically means washing down. So basically, after communion, you would take some wine and bread as a washing down of communion. So it's not just body and blood that there's something else in your stomach now. I think historically some of that would also be if you fasted. Uh, that's also a breaking of the fast to help you like. This is saying like if you to come to a vigil for a major feast uh, in a monastery, a vigil for a major feast could last seven eight hours easily. Ours are coming in around two. Uh, I would like to shave some of that off. Uh, but 
mostly through just singing a little bit faster and making little things a little more compact. Um, but we will do the Lithia bread, which is basically just like the Archiquasia, do those same kind of prayers a little bit longer, um, and then distribute that during the uh, matins, uh, during the, the um, canon uh, for the feast, we'll then distribute it. Because it's kind of like a reprieve, because if you've been chanting for four or five hours, you kind of want a little something. And there's nothing like wine and bread, a little sweet bread to give you a little oomph. So that's what that. Now, historically, that practice actually, if you go back, like you heard Father Gregory chant, uh, the version that I know of is rich, rich men have turned poor and gone hungry. The article C on those, um, the Litia prayers that you would have during the vigil, those also would have been distributed to the entire like community around them, not just within like the monastery, but then people would bring gifts and then it would be distributed during that feast to those who need things, historically. I think that would be a good practice to bring back. Any other questions? Yeah, do we just go next week? As you said, it's the last. So the I'm going to do Wednesday. next week. I'm going to do something. <laughs> and what I'd like to do is basically talk. Well, I'm going back and forth. So let me actually end this because this will be unnecessary for a thank you.